everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Up next, Out Loud with John O'Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. We've been hearing all kinds of stories of voter fraud in the 2020 election, but it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake news. Today, we dig into the facts in search of the truth. This is Out Loud with John O'Caldwell. Welcome back to Out Loud with John O'Caldwell. I'm very excited to introduce my guest today. You may know him from his media appearances, you may know him from social media, or just a hardcore fact-based journalist. His name is John Solomon. John Solomon is an award-winning investigative journalist who's worked at several prominent publications. Earlier this year, he founded Just the News, a digital media outlet committed to reporting just the facts. He serves as its editor-in-chief, providing must-read news and analysis. Mr. Solomon also hosts his own podcast, John Solomon reports, and he is the co-author of the book, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russia Spies, and the Washington Laws That Enriched the Clinton-Biden Dynasties, which came out in July. Let's go. Thank you, Mr. John Solomon, for joining me today. And I tell you, your expertise is one that I look forward to on Twitter, social media, and especially when I see you on air. And you definitely... Have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in this election cycle here. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Oh my gosh, hard to believe. Well, I'm a, it's a pleasure to join you. I hope we'll, we'll cover some of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I hope we're going to dig right in. So, what do you make of the outcome of the election thus far? Well, we know for sure that the American electorate was incredibly electrified because both sides <laughs> turned out the vote in a very large way. Yes. I mean, if you just take a look at President. Trump's final results, what, 74 million votes. No Republican has ever come close to that in a national election. So the uh, president turned out a major vote. He turned it out across demographics that don't traditionally vote heavily Republican. He turned it out in all the states. Yes. And if you believe the final results, Joe Biden turned out more. And, and that is the question. Is that really possible based on what we know? And so we know that there were significant efforts to change the rules, to make the election less secure, to allow ballots to count that were broken or uh, uncured, as they call them. And uh, now we have witnesses coming forward. Some are poll watchers. I think the most compelling witness of all is a woman named Jessie Jacob in Detroit. She is a a lifetime uh, civil servant for the city of Detroit. She gave a affidavit uh, in the last week that I think is extraordinary, and it's perhaps the best evidence we have of systemic fraud in a city or in, in a state. And that is, she said, beginning in September through the day after the election, she repeatedly witnessed and had her boss's instructor as an election worker to uh, tamper with uh, ba- ballots, to backdate them to make them countable when they shouldn't have been counted, either because they weren't in the verified voter file for the state Mm -hmm. or that they had come in with problems on them or they came in after the deadline and then she was asked to backdate them 
to make them look like they came in before election day and therefore could be counted. And when asked the scope of this, she said just on the day after the election, so November 4th, she thought she saw thousands of ballots that had been improperly, fraudulently altered in the city of Detroit. And so if that is true, if these rules that were imposed by uh, unelected bureaucrats and elected bureaucrats uh, without the state legislature's approval in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, if these rule changes then resulted in people being able to game the system, modify ballots, then we may have a form of systemic fraud never before seen or detected in an American elections. Now, just earlier this year, we had a an entire election thrown out in New Jersey. I think it was Jersey City. Yes. Um, but we've never seen one nationally. Now, getting from eyewitnesses say, saying, I saw fraud, which is an important part, getting to the constitutional question that changes were made to the elections that weren't authorized by the legislature, two-thirds of the evidence is in. What is missing is the identification of large numbers of voters who didn't vote but are listed as voting or who did vote and then didn't have their vote counted because maybe they were Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a process that adjusts the news we're doing right now. We've identified about 700,000 what we call high-risk ballots. And what that means is these are people that are listed as voting in a state where they haven't lived for a couple of years yeah. or uh, listed as having requested an absentee ballot but then never had one counted and they come from a red area. And we're just meticulously calling people day in and day out saying, hey, did you know you're listed as voting? You live in South Carolina, but you're listed as also voting in Georgia. Did you file that ballot? Did you ask for that absentee ballot? And we're building a list of people who claim they didn't vote or did vote and weren't counted. And so uh, we're looking for that systemic fraud. It's one thing to have witnesses say, I saw funny business. It's another thing to have the uh, states make changes to the law that weren't authorized by the legislature and therefore perhaps unconstitutional. The third piece of the puzzle to building a voter fraud case is, can you find the people who either didn't have their vote count fraudulently or did have their vote count fraudulently? And that's a process that just the news that we're doing right now. And that's a big undertaking. And I'll tell you, I, I know that there's been hundreds of affidavits of those alleging there has been voter fraud. I personally believe that there's been voter fraud. If you look at the Heritage Database, even yeah. this year where they annotate uh, over a thousand convictions of voter fraud. So we know that it yeah. exists, although the media sure. often says that it, it doesn't. Now, you're a journalist. You're not an opinion person. I've seen you no. on television many, many times. You don't come off with, a, with an opinion. You say this is right. what the facts say. So considering the fact that we at least can assume that there's been voter fraud, there's been allegations of it, we've seen affidavits, etc. Is this enough? to overturn what we're seeing thus far in the electoral college in favor of Donald Trump. Is this enough what we're seeing thus far, or do you estimate that there could be greater evidence that comes to the surface? I think what's in the public realm now, we clearly have seen the threshold has been met at the court level that uh, unelected and elected bureaucrats violated the Constitution and made rule changes uh, that weren't approved by the legislature, thus violating Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution. We saw that just yesterday in uh, a ruling in, um, I don't remember where it was, Pennsylvania. And so for the first time, we know that a Secretary of State has been ruled to have violated the Constitution by making an election change. So I think the, the constitutional threshold has been met where the courts can say certain activities have occurred that violate the Constitution. And now the question is, what was the consequence of violating the Constitution? To get an election result reversed in, let's just take Wisconsin, for instance, where yes. there were pre-electoral changes, there's 20,000 votes separating the candidates. The evidence that has to be presented by the president's team or the third-party litigants that have raised lawsuits in these states, they have to be able to show there's a preponderance evidence, a likelihood that more than 20,000 votes for Donald Trump weren't counted or more than 20,000 votes for Joe Biden were fraudulently counted that don't exist. Mm -hmm. You have to get to that level. And right now, that evidence doesn't exist in the public realm. So I think you could see the courts being halfway there, right? All right, we see that these rule changes weren't allowed, but now you have to convince the court, if in Pennsylvania it's 150,000 votes, in Pennsylvania it's 20,000, in Arizona it's you know about 12,000. Somebody has to come up and create 
the evidence that systemically, here are people. We did a sample of 100,000 people and we found 1,200 people that didn't vote if you project, uh, uh, that are listed as voted. If you project that across an entire populace, X amount of votes might have changed. That's the sort of data analysis and data proof that the courts are gonna require. And at this moment, it doesn't exist. And it's a tedious, slow process, I know, because I've been doing it for a week now. Uh, but, you know, I think that the, once we have a group of people that say I, I'm listed as voting in a state and I didn't vote, that becomes very powerful proof to a court. We know the rules were changed. We know election observers were kept from observing. You have to question why would there be a need to keep people from observing if everything was on the up and up? Yeah. If you can begin to produce real bodies, real names, real voters who said, I don't live in Georgia. I didn't file that absentee request. I didn't vote. And their vote has been counted then I think the courts intervene. Absent that, I think the courts will say, listen, there were some bad things that went on here, but we're not going to reverse an election. Yeah, and it, I think it's it's a really tough situation when you look at places like, I believe it was in Nevada, it was either Nevada or Pennsylvania, and I want to be absolutely accurate, where uh, Corey Lewandowski and Pam Bondi were looking to monitor the, the counting of the votes. Right. Um, and the judge gave an order, and the sheriff wouldn't enforce it. Yeah. And you had a lot of folks who pretty much ignored the order. And I wonder, from the outside looking in, there's a lot of citizens who are watching these things every day and they see where there's legitimate cases yeah. of voter fraud that are proven. And there seems to be no ramifications to what we're seeing, which, I mean, is disheartening as an American citizen and voter to yeah. know that things can happen. And it almost for a lot of folks, especially those who support President Trump, feel as though that this election is being stolen from him. Is there any truth to that in your estimation? Do you also, would you agree with those assessments that have been made by a lot of folks? Well, uh, listen, th there are witnesses uh, that have described behavior that in earlier elections overseas, our State Department, the United States government has said, this is evidence of fraud. What are those pieces of evidence? Let's take the 2004 famous election in Ukraine where a guy named Yanukovych came to power. He became a Russian-friendly guy. The Americans have always decried that election. When the State Department was asked, all right, you say it was a fraudulent election. How do you prove it? And the State Department ambassador came out and said, here's our proof. There was turnout of 90% or more in many precincts. We don't think that that is physically possible. That's the sort of stuff that happens in North Korea or Russia. Uh, that's evidence of fraud. Mm -hmm. Well, in Milwaukee, just the News did a computer analysis obtaining the voter records. 90 of the 400 uh, wards in Milwaukee claimed to have had 90% or greater turnout, in some cases as high as 96%. That means every eligible voter or nearly every eligible voter voted. We know that doesn't happen. So if it was good enough for the State Department to say 90% voter thresholds are an evidence of corru uh, corruption or uh, a fraud, why isn't it good enough when you have many precincts and wards in America that this time around are showing a 90% turnout? What's another thing they use? They said one of the biggest signs of potential fraud, fraudulent election, is that election observers are ejected or prevented from uh, doing their job. Well, we know that occurred in Atlanta. We know that occurred in Detroit. We know that occurred in many other locations where there are affidavits and sometimes video footage. If that was good enough in Ukraine to declare the Ukrainian election of 2004, you would assume that why, why aren't American officials just as concerned by this behavior in 2020? Another thing that was repeatedly mentioned and, and uh, raised as a concern was the fact that large numbers of absentee votes in the 2004 mail-in votes in the 2004 Ukrainian election were allowed to be dropped off in places where there was no witness. There were these mobile boxes. We now call them Zucker boxes because Mark Zuckerberg did a big grant and created these boxes all around Philadelphia and Atlanta mm -hmm. and other big cities. Well, if it was bad for Ukraine to use them, how can we be so accepting in our own democracy of these sort of tactics? So when you compare what the standard has been for the United States for declaring election fraud in other countries, and you now see many of those things have occurred in our country, you have to ask yourself, why is the media, why are our elected officials not asking more questions? Why isn't the FBI uh, deep down in Detroit talking to people like Jesse Jacobs saying, all right, you swore out an affidavit under penalty of perjury, under penalty of losing your job mm -hmm. after 30 plus years, Tell us what you saw. Who was stuffing the ballots? What 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 ballots did you backdate? That's not going on. The lack of curiosity is what is the most extraordinary 
thing about this election fraud debate. There's credible reasons to look at it, and no one seems to want to credibly look at it except for a handful of lawyers and you know reporters like us at Just the News. Yeah, because I've not really seen many reporters even tackle this in a very serious way. Now, we're not talking right. about President Trump said something on Twitter, so now I need to run with the whatever he said. It's like legitimate right. things that are going on. And as a journalist and as a legal body, we should all be concerned. And I want to ask you more about that. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Now, there's been talks about the deep state and those kind of narratives for four plus years. I don't know what that what the deep state really is outside of individuals who may be involved in politics and government who may not like President Trump and they may do things in their capacity to to harm him in a way of his leadership, et cetera. So I, I can't really speak to that because I'm not fully in the know and I don't have facts to support that. Sure. But in this case, do you believe that there is a deep state, quote unquote, effort to thwart any ability of President Trump possibly winning this election? Was it before, after, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it's a great question, right? If, if there is, and again, it's an if. I, I'm not one to uh, make a declaration until we can get the facts to back it up. But if there was an effort to create fraud in the election, if there was an effort to create votes that don't exist or weren't legally cast in this election, it would have had to occur months before. There would have had to be planning. You know, uh, when you hear someone like Jesse Jacob, again, a, a, a lifetime civil servant in the city of Detroit saying, I saw thousands of ballots, ballots being backdated. I saw names being entered into the voter, verified voter file that weren't verified. Uh, uh, when you hear that level, you have to say, well, people, there had to be a lot of people involved. At one point, I think Jesse Jacob talks about 80 workers working the day after the election processing ballots and backdating. That's 80 wow. people working together. You yeah. have to build that infrastructure in advance. You have to have those instructions. Someone has to figure out how to get 
ballots that haven't been cast to look like they've been cast, right? So if, if there was an effort, it would have had to have begun uh, months ago, weeks and months before the election. And that's where, for those who see fraud or worry about fraud, there are concerning behaviors. Let's just go to Wisconsin, where uh, the Wisconsin Election Commission, which, by the way, is not the Wisconsin legislature, it doesn't have the constitutional authority invested in it to make election rule changes, but it did anyways. It made three rule changes. The first was, in Wisconsin, there were about 200,000 names that were supposed to be legally purged from the voter rolls because they were erroneous, outdated, did not meet the verification tests, and the legislature has mandated that happened, and the Wisconsin Election Commission chose not to remove those bad names from the list. Why would you do that? If you're trying to get an election that's lawful and has mm-hmm. integrity, why not follow the purge requirement that's a legislative legal requirement? That's the first thing the Wisconsin Election Commission did. That means there could be 200,000 people who showed up with a ballot or mailed in a ballot who got on the verified list and they were accepted their ballot even though they weren't entitled to vote for all the reasons that made the list outdated. Mm-hmm. The second thing that the Wisconsin Election Commission did, again, these are unelected bureaucrats on a commission, not lawmakers, not the legislature invested by the Constitution to have this power. They declared, hey, if you're anyone and you don't feel like going out of your home because of COVID, we're going to allow you to declare yourself as being permanently homebound. And as a result, then you don't have to go out and get a witness signature for your uh, ballot. Now, witness signature is the mo- one of the most important elements of Wisconsin's voter ID law. There's a law that says you can only vote absentee or early or by mail when you get a witness. And then if not, you've got to show up at the polls with your ID. Mm -hmm. So the legislature set a standard. A bureaucrat said, you don't have to do it. Now, how many people took advantage of that? Our voter analysis shows about 200,000 people or 10 times the spread of those who, uh, uh, of, of the difference between Biden and Trump in Wisconsin took advantage of that. So 200,000 people voted in a manner that was not allowed or dictated or permitted by the legislature. The third thing that those bureaucrats at the Wisconsin Election Commission did is they told poll workers down the stretch, if somebody comes in and sent an absentee ballot and they have a name but they failed to put the address in of the witness, uh, you can fix it for them. Well, the law actually in Wisconsin doesn't allow an election officer to make a change to a ballot. It's, it's called curing a ballot. Wisconsin doesn't allow that. The legislature didn't approve it, but unelected bureaucrats did so. When you see three actions taken in the April, May, June, July, September timeframe by bureaucrats not elected by the American people, you can understand why some conservatives say, hey, there's a deep state, a permanent bureaucracy that's acting on its own with its own agenda and not following the law, the Constitution, or the wishes of the legislature. So we see bona fide evidence, confirmed evidence. We actually adjust the news, put all these memos out so people could see, yeah, the Wisconsin Election Commission really did this. You can read the memo yourself. We see bureaucrats usurping the power of the legislature and making changes that could have opened the door to fraud or invalid votes being counted. And I think that's why conservatives talk about a deep state. It's that sort of independent, I'm not going to follow the direction of the legislature, I'm going to do my own thing, bureaucrat, that makes so many Americans that are conservative worried about a deep state. Let me dig into your response here, because I think you brought some things up that a lot of people aren't aware of and have never heard before. And I just want to make sure that I'm hearing you correctly. Sure. You're saying that there's about 200,000 ballots out there which may have been casted inappropriately, but you don't know exactly what that number is. And right now, the spread between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is about 20,000 votes, I think, in, in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, per what you just said. So yeah. there's legitimately 200,000 or possibly 200,000 votes that were maybe cast for Joe Biden, which may potentially be invalidated. I don't know that. I've not heard you necessarily assert that. It's just like, okay, this wasn't supposed to be done. So it would be a legal action that's necessitous in order for those ballots to be thrown out. And we don't know who they necessarily belong to, how many may be Joe Biden, how many may be Donald Trump votes. But there's at least, per what I'm hearing you say, almost the ability to overturn the results, the current pending results 
in Wisconsin. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't want to go that far because I don't know what a court or judge has in their mind. But what Mm -hmm. we can say is that there are 200,000 votes that were cast or identified as cast in the Wisconsin election data. This is the state's data. It's not my data. It's their data. But they identify 200,000 people who claim to have been permanently homebound as a result of COVID uh, that requested a ballot and voted early in the 2020 election. Now, we know early votes broke heavily to Biden, late votes broke heavily to Trump. So you can make an assumption a lot of those 200,000 yes, people with the patterns fit are, are, are Biden people. Why is that important? A good lawyer could come in and say, Your Honor, here's the memo from the Wisconsin Election Commission. I have these seven members of the legislature here to testify today that they did not authorize that change in law. And therefore, uh, the bureaucrats have made a change in a law not authorized by the legislature. That violates Section 1, uh, I'm sorry, Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution. We believe you should invalidate all 200,000 people that were allowed to vote this way. That is something a lawyer could do. Now, how a court would rule, I don't know. As you know, courts don't like to get in the business of invalidating voters' votes. They, 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 they don't want to be the referee of hanging Chad, as mm-hmm. we learned in 2020. Uh, and if you remember, the Supreme Court... Yeah, the Supreme Court didn't throw out any votes. It just ordered a recount mm-hmm. uh, statewide for, for that and to resolve the hanging chat issue. The courts just don't want to referee these issues. So that means the Trump lawyers, the conservatives, the Republican lawyers, the independent activists are going to have to bring to the court the names, the dates, the times of people that they think voted invalidly or illegally yeah. and then say, we can show these people didn't vote. They're listed as voted. They were cast voted. They, they had their ballots harvested. Harvesting is illegal in the state. They have to come up with a significant number to convince a judge saying it's so widespread. We got to do a do over or yeah. all these votes in this category get thrown out. Now, the Supreme Court did that once already. Right. On uh, just last Friday, Pennsylvania, uh, Justice Alito said, hey, all votes that came in after November 3rd in Pennsylvania need to be segregated. So they've shown a willingness to identify a body of votes that could be suspect. But that's a long way from then invalidating election results where you have five states where Biden is leading in that Trump previously led in. And uh, you know, it's going to come down to the volume of proof that these lawyers can provide. It's a long game. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Now, I want to I really want to talk about these multiple states because I think what you did is gave people just a slight glimmer of hope, at least around Wisconsin. But we had um, a guest on last week, Tom Fitton from Judiciary Watch. Sure. Judicial Watch, I should say. Judicial Watch, yeah. And he was saying that his legal argument, and he's not a lawyer, he made that that statement. And I know that, I assume you're not a lawyer, are you? Not at all. You're a journalist. Okay. an old-fashioned journalist. You, yep. Yeah, right. You can, you can, you can read the, the statutes yeah. and you understand what the law is and all that and how to interpret it based on you know how, how legislators have decided on it. Sure. So my question, per what Tom Fenton said, he said, if people just followed the Constitution, the Constitution says the election should be held on Tuesday. Therefore, any votes that came after Tuesday shouldn't be counted. Is that something that you guys considered in your analysis? If that be the case, it almost appears that Trump may actually win if that's the philosophy in which the courts were to ascertain. So I'm, I'm just wondering if you would agree I with can, that assessment. I can understand why Tom comes to that, because those who read the Constitution strictly could say November originalist. 3rd means... Yeah, originalist, right? Like Amy November 3rd. Yeah, right. One of them. Absolutely. One of our justices. November 3rd means November 3rd, not November 5th, not November 7th, not November 9th. I think if you look at the history of counting uh, in America in earlier court rulings, including some in the weeks before, the Supreme Court has already kind of signaled that it views that votes that come in after that were cast before November 3rd are going to be considered lawful. It isn't the receipt and date of counting that occurs. It's the postmark or date upon which the ballot was initially submitted. And we won't hold voters responsible for the failure of the Postal Service or the election workers to do it. Mm-hmm. The November 3rd uh, time frame has been identified in early court rulings, including some this year where, you know, remember, they gave a three-day three okay in one state. I can't remember the state. I think it was Michigan or Wisconsin. Yeah, you can count for three days afterwards. So the courts have signaled they're not going to give that strict constitutionalist view, at least not yet. I can understand why folks uh, like Tom and others hold to that. But I think the courts have already signaled that's not going to be the way they're going to play this. Now, maybe when it gets to 
the Supreme Court with the new justice, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Maybe there'll be a rethinking of that. But earlier votes this year by the Supreme Court and by the federal judiciary and the appellate courts seem to have given some leeway that if it's cast on the third, meaning that it was sent on the third, it should still be counted a few days later. It's an interesting debate in America. And I, I think the bigger issue is, after all this, at least half of America, maybe more of America, are, are going to wonder, are we going to do this every election now? We're going to have votes coming in nine days after the election. Yeah. I don't think people want a, a forever election. Or, uh, and I think they know the longer it goes on, the higher degree of fraud or cheating it is. Um, I think there's a bigger debate on election reform that we need to have. Uh, we tried to have it in 2005 when the Presidential Commission made all these great recommendations. You know, there was a commission in 2005. It was Jimmy Carter, and I forget who the Republican was. But they made some really great recommendations that would have stopped a lot of the things that we now witness today. They warned that mail fraud, mail ballots were highly susceptible to fraud. They, they did. did. And, yeah. And, and we, you know what? Like so many things in America, we kicked the can down the road. And now, <laughs> right. now we own a rusty can in our hand and we're not really proud of it. Exactly. And I, I completely agree with you on that, uh, that point. Let me ask you this. Um, have you seen, and there's been a lot of news on the Internet, People call it fake news, where it could be someone who's maybe on a hard left making a, a an assertion about something to do with the voting cases that aren't true. We saw where in the Washington Post, they said that the, the one postal worker who um, signed an affidavit alleging that his boss has told him to backdate uh, what came in. And then they said that he retracted his claims and it wasn't true. And he did this video saying, no, that, that was true. I never retracted my claim, et cetera. So we've right. seen it on the left. There's been some some conspiracy th theories on the right too. So we we're not we're going to acknowledge that this happened on both sides. Both sides, yeah. But I, I agree. but I would say more on the left than the right. But that's me. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, sure, sure. That's me. Ha has there been any cases that have been floating around the internet that you guys have debunked? You know, I, there's this uh, theory that there's a program out there called Hammer that can change votes in 2020. Uh, I took a lot of look at this, including back in 2016. I don't think Hammer has much merit, uh, the allegation that there's a secret CIA program and the CIA could change our votes. I think the software and the data are 10, 15 years old. Technologies and, and uh, conversations have long moved on it. So I don't put a lot of credence for many reasons into uh, the idea that there are some secret hand-changing votes with computers that we can't see. I think the more credible and more serious allegation is what occurred before our very eyes, at least the eyes of these observers. Mm -hmm. We have people saying, and listen, the oldest form of election fraud is ballot stuffing. It still goes on today. You don't need a machine to ballot stuff. You just got to get a lot of uh, ballots into the box that aren't legal and, and then trick the machine into reading them. And I think from the eyewitness accounts that if there was systemic fraud, like the stuff that Jesse Jacobs talking about, like the election observers were talking about seeing, it occurred the old fashioned way, people making up ballots and then feeding them through a machine, maybe altering the voter file, the verified voter file to add names that weren't verified. We have very clear guidance from people who've sworn under oath of how this fraud was carried out. And, uh, and we also know that the description of the fraud on election day and the day after is is a extension of the rule changes that were being done last last summer and fall. You have to ask yourself if we wanted a legitimate election, why were we moving things around? Why were we ejecting observers? Why were we trying to slip in a change in the voting rules? There seems to have been a concerted effort to change the rules of the campaign, and those rule changes are are governing what election observers and election workers like Jesse Jacobs said was then abused on election day. I think the roadmap sits in front of us. The affidavits tell us what the edge, how it was carried out in these states. Yeah. It's all similar. Pennsylvania, yeah. Detroit, you know, Milwaukee, all similar allegations. I think the key is now not to get to the theory and the observation, but to find the voters and say, find those voters who said, I didn't vote. I don't think there's a mysterious computer hand changing election results. I think if there is any fraud, and again, I haven't confirmed it, but it, it's much more like what Jesse Jacob describes in her affidavit, which is old-fashioned ballot, uh, ballot box stuffing, putting a whole bunch of after-the-fact votes to change the vote on you know, paper ballots and running them through a machine. So for every Trump supporter who was watching the news on election night and they're seeing it look like Donald Trump was going to win, and I'll be honest, one of my best friends works for Joe Biden as a, one of his finance chairs. He's raised sure. a lot of money for Joe Biden and he, 
he called me thinking that the race was going to go in a different direction like everyone else believed they said wow this thing is looking really good trump is going to win a second second term and then all of a sudden all the votes counts stop and you wonder you know what what has happened now you've kind of laid out a case for us where Wisconsin, we could potentially see a difference depending on how the court rules. And I'm not sure what the Trump administration yeah. is doing that. Pennsylvania, we know that there's been a ruling in terms of segregating the votes that came in after Election Day. Um, not sure how you feel about Michigan, how you feel about Wisconsin and how you feel about Georgia. Any legal action potentially could take place there, could make a difference. Yeah, listen, I think there are many actions that were taken that the courts could conceive as actions taken outside of the constitutional authority of the legislature. The question, what's missing from the Trump argument or from the Trump evidence right now is the proof that, all right, as a result of those elections, this many people's votes have to be invalidated. When invalidated, the the election would go the opposite of the way the current vote data is. That's the missing link. And until that's established, I don't think the courts have enough authority or evidence to overturn the election. That's why it's so important to begin to find voters who are listed in these voter rolls as having voted that didn't vote. Uh, I think shadow votes, uh, that's been described. We know there are lots of them that are people saying, I didn't vote. If those shadow votes exist, finding them, identifying them, making them tangible to everyday Americans, to television hosts, to newspaper writers, that's going to be the thing. Because it's very easy for Americans to say, all right, I just saw Joe Smith. Joe Smith looked me in the eye and said, I didn't vote. I'm telling you, I didn't vote. I didn't request a ballot. And yet Georgia Secretary of State or uh, Michigan Secretary of State says, Joe Smith did vote from that address on this day. That's the sort of thing that's missing from the tangible arguments here. And I think until we have that in a large number, thousands of people claiming that I'm not sure the courts are going to get there. And I'm not sure the American people will have much patience to let this debate go on unless you start to show me real voters who didn't count or who did count that shouldn't have counted. We need to take a break now to pay some bills. Here's a word from my sponsor. Don't go away. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Thank you for spending time with us today, and I know you have to go here soon, but I got a couple more questions I want to ask you. If you can give to our, our listeners here advice in terms of those who care about voter integrity, they care about the integrity in our elections, whether they be a Joe Biden supporter or they be a Donald Trump supporter. And we have listeners on both sides here. Of course. What advice would you give, especially considering the fact you're saying, hey, a person would have to say, oh, I didn't vote, but there was a vote cast under my name. It's the same. uh, Well, first off, anyone who 
wants, there are websites in all of these states, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Georgia, I think of the other big state, Arizona, you can go to these states and you can run your name. If you're somebody who didn't vote and you want to go check and see if your name is in the system as having voted, you can go to that website right now and put your name in, put your date of birth in and find out if there's a ballot cast under your name. If you find your name, you didn't vote, you find your name in there, uh, I think you should contact Just the News or Gingrich 360 or any outlet that's doing the work right now. Let us know, and we'll try to track it down. The more people who can, similarly, if you voted early, you sent in your absentee ballot, and you want to check to make sure it's voted, it counted, go on the system. If you mailed in your ballot on October 19th, and here it is, November 13th, and your vote isn't counted, you aren't showing as voting in the state where you are, let us know, because then we can go track that down for you as well. The way to get to this proof, there are ways to very quickly, whether you voted or not, to find out whether you're listed as voting. If you do that and you find something amiss, let someone at justthenews.com, you go to justthenews.com, click on the info button down the bottom, send us an email, uh, send, you know, let, let Gingrich 360, where your great podcast is, anywhere that you are, alert us because the larger number of people we can check into, the quicker we can find out if this was systemic or just you know a, a couple of errors here and there. Okay, no, that's important. And before we get to just the news and talking about your, your platform, uh, my last question before we get there uh, is about the Biden family. You've done some research on yeah. what you've seen as corruption on the part of the former vice president and his son. Can you walk us through what you discovered about Hunter Biden and his yeah. family? It's a very simple story at 30,000 feet. Uh, the entire time that Joe Biden was vice president, he was the primary foreign policy guy for Barack Obama. President Obama always said that, uh, you know, his foreign policy idea was just don't do anything stupid. He actually used a more colorful word than that. But you get the idea that mm -hmm. foreign policy wasn't his primary thing. He was very interested in domestic policy. That's why policies. he got Joe yeah. Biden. Yeah. Yep. And he brought Joe Biden on a ticket in the big crises of the Biden, uh, Obama-Biden era were given to Joe Biden, Russia, Ukraine, China being uh, among the three biggest. And in the vapor trail of uh, Vice President Joe Biden's Air Force II, his policy responsibilities in those three countries, his family, particularly uh, Hunter Biden, his, his son, collected money in the shadows of that vapor trail of policy. In 2011, when the Russia reboot's going, I'm sorry, the China reboot is going on and they're trying to open up relations and improve relations with China, Hunter Biden brings in some businessmen uh, that are about to close a deal with him into the White House to meet his father. In 2013, Hunter Biden goes on Air Force Two with his father, introduces him to his business partner, and he gets involved in a, 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 an investment fund that was supposed to be 1.5 billion large. In 2014, Joe Biden goes in April 2014 to Ukraine, right after uh, Ukrainians threw out their Russian favored president, had a revolution, and then Russia retaliated by invading the Crimean region of Ukraine, mm -hmm. invading the sovereign territory of Ukraine. Joe Biden comes and says, here's the best way to get out from under your, uh, the thumb of Russia if you're Ukrainian. Let's build natural gas, your own natural gas system. You won't rely on Russia, Moscow anymore. You'll be independent. It'll solve these problems going forward. Not three weeks later, what happens? Hunter Biden gets added to the board of uh, one of Ukraine's most corrupt, but also its largest uh, gas company, Burisma, and he makes millions of dollars there. And throughout, again, in Kazakhstan, in Russia, in uh, China, in Ukraine, where Joe Biden was running the foreign policy, his son is collecting business deals, millions and billions of dollars, millions of dollars. Um, some are estimated to be as high as a billion, but you know, large business deals uh, with no consideration to the conflict of interest it created, mm -hmm. the corruption it, it, it created. Uh, Joe Biden can't answer the question why his family did that, why he didn't stop it. And that reflects not on Hunter Biden. It reflects on Joe Biden, his failure to stop this collecting money to his family while he's in charge. That used to be called corruption in all of the media. Now, 50 percent of the media tries to justify it and call it a conspiracy theory, but it's not. It's always been corruption. It always will be corruption in the American way we do things. And Joe Biden's judgment is on trial when you hear these things that Hunter Biden did to make money off his father's name and off his father's policy responsibilities. And you know what's interesting? The Obama White House during that time had issues with this as well. This wasn't something that just happened in a vacuum uh, where there was no consideration as to it being the correct the course of action, folks in his administration had large problems with it. 
The question is, and I can see where the corruption aspect comes in. I'm from Illinois, one of the most corrupt places you know in that. the city of Chicago. <laughs> so I'm very well you got a lot of governors and mayors that have gone to prison and city councilmen and all and of them. Alderman, exactly. Sure. State representatives, yeah. state senators. I mean, people that I've actually, because I was lobbying for the lobbying in Illinois some years ago. And a guy no that kidding. had just won had, had went to jail for that kind of corruption. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting that all this is going on. The question is, do you find any of this to be prosecutable, uh, whether it be with Hunter Biden or Joe Biden? And clearly, it seems to be as I look around, it seems like the, the elite and powerful never go to jail. Yeah, there's two there's two ju- departments of justice. There's a department of justice for everyone, everyday characters and Republicans and conservatives, the Mike Flynn's of the world. And then there's a department of just us, which <laughs> protects all the insiders and elitists in government. Us. And, you know, that it, just think of the uh, the insanity of uh, Mike Flynn being prosecuted for uh, a false statement that, you know, uh, the government says wasn't even a lie and not even material. And then Andy McCabe making multiple false statements and not getting prosecuted at all. And, you know, being able to sit in a congressional hearing the other day with a smirk on his face saying we didn't do anything really wrong. That, that That's the difference between the Department of Justice and Department of Justice. And uh, time and again, people have seen that. Listen, uh, the facts will dictate whether what Hunter Biden did was illegal. It's clearly unethical. It's clearly a political bad judgment by the Biden family mm-hmm. to have allowed this money operation to sweep up behind uh, Joe Biden's foreign policy. Whether it's illegal, whether it's legal or not, comes into several things. Did they money, did they launder money? That's one of the things we know the FBI says it's investigating. Did they declare all the money they made on taxes? Did any money from Hunter Biden go to his father like some of these emails suggest? The big guy, 10% for yeah. the big guy, yeah. Yeah, and if yeah. it was reserved for the big guy and he took it and he didn't pay taxes on it or he didn't disclose it on his financial disclosure form, there could be some crimes, but none of that evidence is in a way that we know for sure. There's hints of it. There's suggestions of it. Yeah. It's why Just the News has got a lot of work ahead of itself in the next four years to look at this issue, whether Joe Biden's a president or not. The allegations that are in these emails that I started writing on in April of 2019 need to be exhausted, just like we exhausted the bogus Russia collusion scandal and showed that that was a figment of a political imagination and not a real criminal case. Wow. And finally, now that you mentioned just the news and thank you so much for your time, I'm sure my pleasure. Our listeners are very, very pleased with the launch of just the news. You're changing the game of news and investigative reporting. What do you see as the future of investigative reporting and just and how the news, the media reports the news? That is such a great question. And uh, I think the return, uh, the most important thing for investigative reporting to do is to return to facts and not suppositions, not opinions masquerading as facts. When you disassemble the Russia collusion scandal or the other fake scandals that occurred during the Trump years, you know, everything from Russian bounties on soldiers' heads that wasn't proven at the time it was reported to the Ukrainian phone call where the president allegedly linked two things that he didn't actually link when you got the transcript. Facts were always the thing that undercut the story. You never want to be a journalist that has facts that undercut your story. Your facts should be the story. And when you look at the facts that were most egregiously wrong the last four years in investigative reporting, Michael Isikoff stories, the Washington Post stories, the New York Times famous front page story where they literally reported on the front page and have never retracted, never retracted this, that there were senior Trump officials who met with senior Russian officials to to hijack the election, and the U.S. government intercepted that. Those intercepts don't exist. Those meetings never occurred. (laughs) The New York Times put that on its front page. Almost all of those stories, those investigative scoops, were anonymous sources feeding uh, absolute blarney to reporters who then put the blarney on their news pages without doing due diligence. The best thing that can happen to investigative reporting is to return to facts and stop the anonymous uh, backstabbing, uh, political masquerading, and political dirty trick stuff that was Russia collusion, Ukraine, and all that. Um, we at Just the News made a commitment when we launched ourselves in February. We're going to do something very um, unique. I call it uh, un- unbowed transparency. When we write a story, and we want you to read our story, we want you to watch our video, we want you to listen to our podcast, yeah. but when we're done, There's a separate tab called dig in. It's separate of the story. So you move from the story to the dig in. And in the dig in is all of our raw materials that we assembled to build the story. The memos we obtained, the documents we obtained, the audio. Oh, you show evidence, proof. 
Can you imagine that? What a, <laughs> and you know, we want to be fact-checked. And you know, sometimes someone will say something, I, I, and I love this. Hey, most of your story is right, but on page 233 of that document that you embedded here, I think you got a typo. I love that when a reader catches us. We want to be held accountable. I wish more of journalism would do that. I wish the people that uh, were, were reporting all the bogus stuff from Christopher Steele had gone to the in, intelligence community, the anonymous sources, and say, show me the proof. Because if they had, they would have found out that Carter Page, whose name had been smeared as a Russian mole, was in fact a CIA asset helping his country. They would have known that the transcripts uh, with uh, Mike Flynn were perfectly legal. They would have known that FBI agents had lied to get the uh, manipulated and actually uh, tampered with evidence to get these bogus uh, FISA warrants. The, the, the reporters weren't curious. They didn't get the facts. They didn't weren't transparent. We hope at Just the News we're starting a trend, which is don't take our word for it. Go check our word out with our own evidence. And, and I, I'd like to see more reporters do that in the future. Wow. We'll hear it out loud with Gianno Caldwell with their sworn enemy of PC culture. We love facts and we're big <laughs> fans of what you do. Sincerely big Thank fans. You, and that I means hope a lot. to have you on again. This is, you're the first guest I've said I, I hope to have on again because I think you bring oh, such a relevant and fact-based point of view. So I want to thank you so much for thank joining you. Congratulations us. Congratulations you on your podcast. It's a oh, wonderful thank you show. So much. I'm, I'm honored to be on it. It's going to be a roaring success for a long time to come. No, I appreciate that. I received that in Jesus' name. Can you tell us where we can follow you? Absolutely. So justthenews.com is the website. J Solomon Reports on Twitter. So the first initial J for John, J Solomon Reports uh, on Twitter, on Parlor, on Facebook. That's how you find me. All right. And I'm on parlor too, y'all at Gianno Caldwell. Thank you for mentioning it. <laughs> I'll be following your parlay starting right after I get I'm out of the studio. Follow, I'm following you too, <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we Congratulations. look forward to learning That's more. Great. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks to my special guest, John Solomon, for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingrich360.com. That's outloud at gingrich360.com. And I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Parlor at Gianno Caldwell. That's G-I-A-N-N-O Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. And if you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up my best-selling book, Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our researcher, Aaron Klingman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers, and of course, the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, all a part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.